we stand together. Merry Christmas.
shall come to thee, O Israel. Shall come to thee, O Israel.
majesty, strength and royal beauty in the heavenly face of God the Son. Majesty, everlasting streams of glory never cease from His place above. Sent to darkness and born among us, the King without a throne. Humble, deeply a servant, lowly, Lord Christ in flesh and blood. Let the heavens and the
Jesus, we do come before you as majesty, as the king. Lord, the one who would come into this world in human form, as a human child. Son of God, most high. Lord, that you would take up human form is a miracle in the incarnation that our hearts and minds cannot comprehend. And certainly even the angels themselves, Lord, cannot possibly comprehend that God should become a man incarnate in Christ Jesus. We celebrate and worship you, Jesus, this, this evening, this weekend, but all year long because you are the man, the God-man, the one who would come to save us, and we are grateful. Would you bless this gathering of your people? Lord, let the gospel ring out. Let our hearts receive the gospel, the good news of a Savior born unto us, the city of David. Oh, Lord Jesus, we worship and we thank you. Amen. Let's be seated. Well, good evening and welcome on this night when we celebrate uh, anticipation, looking forward to the sun to come, the light to shine into the darkness. Uh, it's a great, tremendous hope that we have. Um, a few years ago, we started a tradition here uh, to take up a special offering on our Christmas Eve service, and we're going to do that again tonight. We're not going to pass any buckets or anything, but this is our annual benevolence offering, and this is a way that we care for one another in the church, and, and you all have been exceedingly generous through the years, and so I'm looking forward again to seeing how the Lord provides. Uh, the deacons will be in the lobby after the service, uh, and you can give a gift there, or if you want to give electronically, you can do it on our website, crosswaypaa.org. You'll see a giving button, uh, so thank you for giving in that way. Uh, our text tonight, our reading, is from Luke chapter 2, so let's read verses 1 to 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came from her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swallowing claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Merry Christmas. So good to see so many come to worship the Lord. Have you ever noticed how the presence of a baby 
changes the group dynamics rather drastically. I see it more than ever because I, I have a couple of grandchildren now, and when one of my grandchildren shows up, that's all I see. You even forget your own children when your grandchild's present. You may be tempted to look at them and say, do, do I know you? And when there is a newborn baby present, everyone wants to hold the baby, and everyone is talking about the baby. Everyone's making faces at the baby, and smiling at the baby, and talking to the baby in soft, cooing tones that they would never use otherwise. Babies are about the sweetest thing that exists this side of God's creation. And they really are a miracle. And to be around a newborn is to experience the power and the love of God. And so it's all very good and very right that we Christians tend to think of the sweetness of baby Jesus. To be amazed and wonder that God over all could enter our existence and that he would do so in the form of a human babe. We tend to think of and relate to Christmas, rightly so, as we think of and relate to a sweet baby. And it's one of the reasons why children have such a priority at Christmas time. But as many of you know, the Christmas story has a very dark backdrop. The darkest of dark backgrounds. And since we are people of the book, we don't shy away from the truth. We investigate. And so let's read about that dark backdrop of Christmas. Jesus had been born in Bethlehem. The wise men from the east saw his star and traveled to find him. When they did, they offered their gifts. They worshiped. And then they left. But they did not tell King Herod where the baby was. And we get Herod's frightening reaction in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. What an astonishing tragedy. What horror and terror. We have some present concerns in our day and age about the erosion of our religious liberties in this country. But can you imagine a government so corrupt, so treacherous, so lawless that a single barbaric despot can order out of his own sycophantic rage the killing of all the baby boys in a small region? And he does this in a callous, blanket effort to just get at one of those babies, making the despair of dozens of mothers and fathers just collateral damage. Think of the coldness of the soldiers just doing their job. Think of the fear of the entire town in those moments. Think of the screams of mercy. This is a dark hour of desperation and despair. 
Historians tell us that this is not out of character for King Herod. Long before Henry VIII, Herod had one of his wives strangled because she upsetted him. He arranged for one of his young opponents to have a drowning accident in a couple of feet of water. He even killed some of his own sons, and these are just the beginning of his atrocities. No, the dark hour that marked Christmas is not out of character for Herod. But we should also note that death is nothing new. Tragedy is nothing new. Death and the darkness it brings is not out of character for all of human history. In the passage that I read, Matthew writes that Rachel was weeping for her children. And this is a quote from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was describing the excruciating sorrow of God's people losing their freedom in Israel and being carried away to exile in Babylon. Think along the lines of the Trail of Tears or the slave trade. Think of any historical incidents where people are rounded up, kidnapped, displaced, and enslaved. In Jeremiah's quote, Rachel is used as a symbol of all of the mothers of God's people Israel. The idea is that a mother wants the best for her children. It's buried in her heart and she, she, it comes out of her and she wants the best. But instead of the best for these children, their lives are wasted and thrown away in exile. They are doomed in enslavement and their mother is weeping inconsolable because she cannot save them. The sorrow goes even deeper. Because when Jeremiah uses Rachel as a symbol for all of the mothers of Israel, he's actually borrowing from the devastation of a single mother, the matriarch Rachel. About 1,500 years before Jeremiah prophesied, Rachel was experiencing hard labor and suffered through the delivery and died while giving birth to her youngest, to Jacob's youngest, to Benjamin. And that's why when Jacob, when, when Jeremiah wants to capture the sorrow of God's people in his time and the punishing exile that they would suffer with, he used the image of the suffering and dying matriarch Rachel who will now not be able to hold her newborn baby. Rachel died suffering through labor and later the mothers of Israel suffered through the exile wanting the best for their children but not being able to see it and now Matthew hundreds of years after Jeremiah prophesies and thousands of years after the death of Rachel sees the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jeremiah makes in this horror of King Herod in Bethlehem a baby's born. He is life. He is hope. But all you hear, instead of life and hope and the Christmas bells, you hear the shrieks and the sobs of agony. This is the dark backdrop, and it's the darkest hour of Christmas. And it's really nothing new. We have people here tonight that have suffered tragedies. 
And throughout human history, people have suffered tragedies and death touches us all and comes to us all. This fallen world, this fallen world, listen, this fallen world hates life. It works against life. Herod and the soldiers responded to life with murder. And it should not be lost on us Christians that at the very time that the hope of the world enters the world, the world sought through its powers that were to destroy him. The world is happy in its rebellion against God. It does not want the light. It rejects the light. It works to put out the light. Death is in the hearts of of men, and death is the fate of mankind. The natural fallen course of this world is death. And so often humanity is operating out of that natural fallen course of the world. But this, this, dear friends, is what Christmas is all about. Even in the darkest night, we should look. We should look right through our tears because when we do, we will see the shining light. Hear me out here. When we look through the darkness, we will see the shining light. There's a connection that Matthew does not want us to miss. Even in this passage, there is a hint in the story of Rachel's passing that points to some greater purpose. You see, Rachel goes into labor while they're traveling to Bethlehem. And Rachel is buried on the way to Bethlehem. Genesis 35 memorializes this for us. Her life ended by pointing to the place where another baby would be born and would become the shining light of men, the little town of Bethlehem. Not long before Herod's death squad descended on that little town, God made provisions for baby Jesus. Matthew chapter 2 verses 13 to 15 tells us how Jesus escaped the slaughter of the innocents. Now when they, the wise men, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child to his, and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the, for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So, God warned Joseph and he slips out at night, apparently taking a more difficult road and leads his family to Egypt. History tells us at that time there were several Jewish settlements in Egypt and the ancient city of Alexandria, which was by the sea, is still by the sea, and had over a million people in it at that time. It was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. That city had a large population of Jews and maybe Joseph took his family there. And so baby Jesus was a king in exile for a time there in Egypt. And then finally, after the death of Herod, Joseph and Mary take Jesus back to Israel. And Matthew wants to call our attention to yet another prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. 
He wants God's people to see that shining light. And this is a major point. This is a major point of hope for God's people. That phrase, that phrase, out of Egypt, I called my son. It's loaded. It's loaded with light. That phrase comes from the prophet Hosea in chapter 11 of his writing when he's prophesying terrible judgment, terrible judgment upon Israel for their ongoing and absolute contempt for God. Part of what makes Israel's rebellion so serious is that they rebel despite God's love for them. Now think about that for a moment. This gets at the nature of what sin is. God, God loved his people And yet they rebelled against him. And so Hosea 11 begins with, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You see, what really makes the world dark, it's our sin. That's what makes the world dark. Our sin is, like Israel in the past, a betrayal. Have you ever felt betrayed? It's quite a sensation. It's like having a rug pulled out from under you. But that's us. We betrayed God. He loved us and we rebelled against Him, just like ancient Israel. But that phrase, out of Egypt I called my son, stirs up hope. It compels us to consider the deep and unrelenting love of God for His people. It refers back to the Exodus. God looked at his people in slavery in Egypt and he called them out of that situation. He saves them from it. He brought them out in power. He kept them in his love and in his goodness. He gave them their own land and made them a mighty nation. There was a time in the history of ancient Israel when God made them a shining light on a hill for all the world to see and find hope in. And now, now in Jesus, God is doing it again. You see, returning from Egypt is not simply a migration pattern, nor is it just a practical thing. It is deeply, deeply symbolic. Bringing Jesus out of Egypt is an expression of the great love God has for his people. And it communicates to anyone paying attention that God intends to save us to the uttermost. Out of Egypt is a bright and shining light. It is a light that shines even brighter than the star over Bethlehem. When God brought ancient Israel out of Egypt, he did so by sending them a savior, the man Moses. And Moses led them out by the power of God. But as great as Moses was, and as great as the work of God that God did through Moses, Moses couldn't ultimately save God's people. And what I mean is he couldn't die for their sin. He couldn't give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't promise them eternal life in himself. He couldn't overcome their sin. And he couldn't defeat death. But Jesus could. And he did. And he does for everyone that trusts him. You see, no matter how dark the night, look, look, and see the shining light.
the light of Jesus, the Christ. Why is darkness a universal symbol of sin, of evil? Why do we associate it like that? Well, because we can't see in the dark. Humans can't see in the dark. We can't see. And ultimately, we can't live in the dark. The world needs light if there is to be life and if it's to sustain human life. That's what Christmas is. It's light in the darkness that gives life to all who see it. It's like John said about Jesus in John chapter 1. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. This Christmas, whenever you look and see a Christmas light shine, think of the light of Jesus Christ that overcomes the darkness in us and in the world. Think of the life that he brings. Every time you see a Christmas light, think of the life of Christ. It shines in the darkness and in your life when you trust Him and trust Him and trust Him more. I'd like to ask the children's choir to come. They're going to sing for us, which is very appropriate on this Christmas Eve.
all stand together, starting with verse 3.
the children do a great job. Amen. Let's our thanks. We also got a little picture of who's got rhythm. It's ready to dance. Uh, we want to make sure that our guests know that we will be here tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Uh, there's no better way to mark Christmas than to gather with God's people and worship our Savior. And of course, uh, just a reminder that the deacons will be there for the benevolence offering on the way out. Uh, let me pray a blessing over us as we close. Father, we thank you that you are good. You are faithful. You are true. You love your enemies. And you sent your son into great darkness. A people living in darkness saw a marvelous light. And Lord, you have worked in our lives to bring us here, that we would hear the truth about Jesus, that we would be able to respond. And we pray that this evening as we anticipate tomorrow, that we would most anticipate the love and mercy and grace that are held out to us in Jesus Christ, that we might know and love and enjoy him and bring glory to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Merry Christmas, and we will see you in the morning, Lord willing.